Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a margarita on the rock. What do you have? I am drinking a mojito, and on this week's case, we're going to be discussing the murder of Tejino music star Selena at the hands of Yolanda Saldivar. Selena's popularity lives on through her music and the impact she had on the Latin music genre, which helped it gain mainstream popularity. During her life, Selena was welcomed into the hearts of fans with her personality and the genuineness people felt from her. So let's go into some background on Selena and how she became known as the Tejino Madonna. Selena Quintanilla was born in Lake Jackson, Texas to Abraham and Marcella on April 16, 1971. She was the youngest of her siblings and her father, who was a musician, noticed her musical talents when she was six. After a failed restaurant venture, Abraham formed Selena y Los Quinos with Selena and her siblings, Abraham III and Suzette. They played at quinceañeras and musical festivals to earn money. As her popularity as a singer grew, the demands of Selena's performances and travel schedule began to interfere with her education. Her father then took her out of school when she was in the eighth grade. At 17, Selena earned a high school diploma from the American School of Correspondence in Chicago. Abraham refurbished an old bus that he named Big Bertha, and the family used it as their tour bus. In the first years of touring, the family sang for food and barely had enough money to pay for gasoline. In 1984, Selena recorded her first LP record, Selena y los Dinos, for Freddie Records. Despite wanting to record English language songs, Selena recorded Tejino music compositions, a male-dominated Spanish language genre with German influence of polka, jazz, and country music, popularized by Mexicans living in the United States. Abraham believes Selena should record music related to their heritage. During the recording sessions for the album, Selena had to learn Spanish with guidance from her father. In 1985, to promote the album, Selena appeared on the Johnny Canales Show, a popular Spanish-language radio program on which she continued to appear for several years. Selena was discovered by musician Rudy Trevino, founder of the Tejino Music Awards, where she won Female Vocalist of the Year in 1987 and for nine consecutive years after. Selena released her self-titled debut album, on October 17, 1989. The album peaked at number seven on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Album Charts. Selena released her second studio album, Ven Conmigo, in September 1990, which featured the track Bala Tumbida, which became Selena's most successful song. During this time, Chris Perez was hired as a guitarist for the band. Selena and Chris started a relationship in secret, but had to reveal their relationship to Abraham after they were caught flirting by Selena's sister, Suzette. Abraham disapproved of the relationship and fired Chris. Selena and Chris believed Abraham would never accept their relationship, and on the morning of April 2, 1992, eloped. Abraham later approached Chris to apologize, accepted the marriage, and took Perez back into the band. A month after her elopement, Selena released her third studio album, Entre a Mi Mundo, in May 1992. The album was critically acclaimed as her breakthrough album. 
The recording peaked at number one on the U.S. Billboard Regional Mexican Album Charts for eight consecutive months. One of the songs, Como La Flor, helped Selena to dominate the Latin music charts and became immensely popular in Mexico. Selena released live a year after Entre a Mi Mundo. It was recorded during a free concert at the Memorial Coliseum in Corpus Christi on February 7, 1993. Selena released her fourth studio album, Amor Prohibido, in March 1994. The recording debuted at number three on the U.S. Billboard Top Latin Albums chart. After peaking at number one on the top Latin albums, the album remained in the top five for the rest of the year and into early 1995. Her final album, Dreaming of You, was released posthumously on July 18, 1995. Outside of music, Selena always had an interest in fashion. She opened two boutiques called Selena Etc. in early 1994. Her fan club president, Yolanda Saldivar, was asked to manage these boutiques as she had been doing a good job of handling the fan club. In December 1994, the boutiques began to suffer after the number of staff for both stores had decreased. According to staff members, Saldivar often dismissed employees she disliked. Employees at the stores regularly complained about Saldivar's behavior to Selena, who dismissed the claims, believing Saldivar would not negatively impose erratic decisions on Selena's fashion venture. According to Abraham, the staff later turned their attention to him and began informing him about Saldivar's behavior. Abraham took the claim seriously. He told Selena to be quote-unquote careful and said Saldivar might not be a good influence. Selena dismissed her father's concerns because he had often distrusted people in the past. Reporters from the Dallas Morning News said her devotion to Selena bordered on obsession. According to Abraham, in January 1995, he began receiving telephone calls from fans who said they had paid for membership in the Selena fan club and had received nothing in return for it, and he began an investigation. Abraham discovered that Saldivar had embezzled more than $30,000 via forged checks from both the fan club and the boutiques. Abraham held a meeting with Selena and Suzette on the night of March 9th at Q Productions to confront Saldivar. He presented Saldivar with the inconsistencies about the disappeared funds and told her that if she did not provide evidence that disproved his accusations, he would include the local police. Abraham banned Saldivar from having any contacts with Selena. Selena did not want to dissolve their friendship as she thought Saldivar was essential to the success of the clothing line in Mexico. Selena also wanted to keep her close because she had bank records, statements, and financial records necessary for tax preparation. In the days before Selena's death, Saldivar delayed handing over the bank payments and financial records by saying she had been physically and sexually assaulted in Mexico. Saldivar, along with Selena, appeared at a medical clinic on March 31, 1995, to have Saldivar examined for an assault, which she claimed happened to her in Monterey. No evidence was ever found that this assault actually happened. Afterwards, Selena again met with Saldivar in her motel room at the Days Inn in Corpus Christi. At the motel, Selena demanded the financial papers. At 11.48 a.m., Saldivar got a gun from her purse and pointed it at Selena. As Selena attempted to flee, Saldivar shot her once in the right lower shoulder, severing the subclavian artery and causing a severe loss of blood. Critically wounded, Selena ran towards the lobby, leaving a 392-foot trail of blood. 
She collapsed on the floor as the clerk called the emergency services, with Saldivar still chasing after her and calling her a quote-unquote bitch. Before collapsing, Selena named Saldivar as her assailant and gave the number of the room where she had been shot. Selena was dead on arrival at Corpus Christi Memorial Hospital. The attending emergency room physician decided to attempt to revive her. Cardiologist Lewis Elkins continued the treatment and performed surgery based on the emergency room physician's decision. Doctors were able to establish a quote-unquote erratic heartbeat long enough to transfer her to the trauma room. After 50 minutes of surgery, she was pronounced dead from blood loss and cardiac arrest at 1.05 p.m. Selena Quintanias Perez was 23 years old at the time of her death. Saldivar had attempted to flee in her truck, but was seen by a responding officer after shooting Selena. It was later thought that she was going to go to Q Productions to shoot Abraham and others who were waiting for Selena to return. The officer left his vehicle, drew his gun, and ordered Saldivar out of the truck. Saldivar did not comply, and she backed up and parked adjacent to other cars. Her truck was then blocked by police vehicles. Saldivar picked up the pistol, pointed at her right temple, and threatened to commit suicide. Officers Larry Young and Isaac Valencia began negotiating with Saldivar. Later that afternoon, police drained the gasoline from the gas tank of Saldivar's car and turned on the floodlights. After the standoff entered its fourth hour, Valencia succeeded in getting Saldivar to confess that she had intended to shoot herself. Saldivar said that when she placed the gun to her own head, Selena tried to tell her not to kill herself. When Selena opened the door to leave, Saldivar said she told her to close it. She also said that the gun went off when Selena left. During the sixth hour, Saldivar agreed to give herself up, but when she saw a police officer pointing a rifle at her, she panicked, ran back into the truck, and picked up the gun and pointed it at her head again. Eventually, Saldivar, surren eventually, Saldivar surrendered after more than a nine-hour standoff with police. Within 20 minutes of Saldivar's surrender, she was taken to the downtown police station in Corpus Christi and placed in an interrogation room with investigators Paul and Ray Rivera. Saldivar went back and forth between I can't believe I killed my best friend to it was an accident to I was trying to kill myself. Saldivar's bail bond was initially set at $100,000, but the district attorney, Carlos Valdez, persuaded the judge to raise it to $500,000. Saldivar pleaded not guilty, saying that the shooting was accidental. On October 23, 1995, the jury deliberated for two hours before finding Saldivar guilty of murder. She received the maximum sentence of life in prison. With What are your thoughts on this case, Jenny? It's so sad. Selena had so much potential. She seemed like a wonderful, giving person. I saw some special, and they talked about how she really did like put her heart and soul in those clothing lines, and she really wanted local people to work there and other people to get involved, and she really cared for her community. It's so sad that we don't know what she could have done later in her life, because I think she would have been a really wonderful role model, but also just a wonderful artist to enjoy. What about you? I love Selena. 
And I was first introduced to her through the Selena movie. And I think that the fact that she was so trusting and so willing to put her heart out there, for that to be betrayed in the ultimate way, it just makes me so mad. Yolanda Saldivar is a horrible person. And she is someone who does not deserve parole at all. I don't think that there can ever be an instance where she has displayed enough remorse for me to say that she should be released. I think that Selena's impact on music and on fashion and on the world all around will definitely remain. And I think that as time goes on, new generations are going to be able to get a renewed appreciation for her and for her work. Selena's murder is absolutely tragic and exemplifies the dangers associated with extreme fandom and its related concept, parasocial relationships. Parasocial relationships are one-sided relationships where one person extends emotional energy, interest, and time, and the other party, the persona, is completely unaware of the other's existence. Parasocial relationships are most common with celebrities and organizations such as sports teams. In 1956, social scientists Donald Horton and R. Richard Wall published their research on parasocial relationships. Radio, TV, books, and movies could all create this quote-unquote intimacy at a distance, but the authors noted certain individual performers proved better at eliciting this bond than others. We develop parasocial relationships based on repeated interactions with these figures on social media or on television that make them seem relatable and accessible rather than far away from us quote-unquote regular people. What are your thoughts on parasocial relationships? I think that they could be a good thing but also a really bad thing which we're going to talk about in a second. I think we talked a little bit about parasocial relationships on our boy band scam episode so definitely listen to that if you haven't. But I think we were talking about how they can be a good thing because they can kind of bring people together in some senses like oh we're fans of this band, this person, this sports team, let's all come together and then they can in turn have a real life friendship. But I think it can definitely be dangerous. And I think it can kind of create people living in a fantasy world, like planning out like a whole fake life with someone or you were like a character on this TV show. And like we said, I think social media has definitely made that worse, especially because celebrities are at just like an arm's length away. Like I have my phone in my hand, I can go on Instagram and I can see what Brie Larson is doing because I follow her on Instagram. And there's so many other people on there that share a lot of information and you can feel connected. I definitely agree with you that it is the amount of time and energy that you're putting into parasocial relationships that dictate whether they're a positive or a negative. And I think the real line is obsession. If you can describe your liking of someone or something as an obsession, it's probably gone too far. And it's probably gone to a very dangerous place where this person or thing is taking up a lot of your free time. You're not able to really communicate with people that are actually a part of your life. And I agree that there are so many positives that come out of parasocial relationships. I know that they tend to get a negative rap. And like you said, we're going to talk about the very negative side of parasocial relationships. But I think in all, it's that community building element of we have a similar life. We're a part of a similar fandom. And I think that the more people that have that type of parasocial relationship, that 
that type of fandom, the less we will see these tragic incidents. Unfortunately, Selena is not the only celebrity that has been murdered by someone who considered themselves a fan. Rebecca Schaefer was a model and actress best known for her role in My Sister Sam. In 1985, Robert John Bardo started stalking Schaefer after his previous obsession, Samantha Smith, died in a plane crash. In 1987, he traveled to Los Angeles hoping to meet Schaefer on the set of My Sister Sam, but Warner Brothers security turned him away. He returned a month later armed with a knife, but security guards again prevented him from gaining access. He wrote numerous letters to Schaefer, one of which she answered. Bardo watched Schaefer in the black comedy Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills in 1989, in which she appeared in bed with another actor. Bardo became enraged by the scene and apparently out of jealousy decided that Schaefer should be punished from becoming quote-unquote another Hollywood whore. Author Richard Jackson has stalked and stabbed Teresa Saldana in 1982 and Bardo learned that Jackson had used a private investigator to obtain Saldana's address. Bardo then paid a detective agency in Tucson $250 to find Schaefer's home address in California's Department of Motor Vehicle Records. His brother helped him to obtain a handgun. On July 18, 1989, Robert John Bardo shot and killed Schaefer at her home in West Hollywood. There's also the case of Christina Grimmie. Christina Grimmie was a singer who appeared on the music talent show The Voice. On June 10th, 2016, Grimmie performed with Before You Exit at the Plaza Live in Orlando, Florida. Earlier that day, she posted a shout out on social media asking people to attend the concert. After their performance ended at 10 p.m. local time, Grimmie signed autographs inside the venue. At 10.24 p.m., Grimmie was shot by 27-year-old Kevin James Loibel after initially opening her arms to give him a hug. As witnesses fled the scene, Loibel was tackled by Grimmie's brother and the men scuffled. Loibel broke free, backed against the wall, and shot himself dead. Grimmie was on the floor and bleeding from the head. After CPR was performed on her, 911 was called and she was taken to Orlando Regional Medical Center in critical condition with four gunshot wounds. She was pronounced dead just before 11 p.m. An autopsy revealed that Grimmie was shot once in the head and twice in the chest. The Orlando Sentinel described Loibel's motive as, quote, If I can't have you, then nobody else can, and I'm going to possess you by taking your life, end quote. And finally, and perhaps the most famous example of a fan killing a celebrity, on December 8, 1980, Mark David Chapman killed John Lennon. At approximately 5 p.m. on December 8, 1980, Lennon autographed a copy of Double Fantasy for Fan Mark David Chapman before leaving the Dakota with Yoko Ono for a recording session at the record plant. After the session, Lennon and Ono returned to their Manhattan apartment in a limousine at around 10.50 p.m. They exited the vehicle and walked towards the archway of the building when Chapman shot Lennon twice in the back and twice in the shoulder at close range. Lennon was rushed in a police cruiser to the emergency room of Roosevelt Hospital where he was pronounced dead on arrival at 11.15 p.m. Chapman avoided going to trial when he ignored his attorney's advice and pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 20 years to life. Jenny, what do you feel about these cases and others where fans have murdered celebrities? 
It's really heartbreaking, especially Rebecca Schaefer. It's awful that so many people enabled Bardo and knowingly or unknowingly helped him kill this girl. Why was he able to hire a private investigator to get her address? That's insane to me. He really should have been flagged after he showed up at the Warner Brothers lot with a knife. He was clearly not well. And that's, I think, like the best example that he saw her in a movie with someone thinking that he had like this relationship with her and she cheated on him, I guess is what he would say. Christina Grimmie is so sad, especially considering she was going to give the man a hug and then he just went in and killed her. And we so often hear about that, well, if I can't have you, no one can mindset. I feel like that's what happens a lot with celebrities as well. Mark David Chapman, I think, would be an outlier. But we hear that a lot. It's scary to be a celebrity. I would never want to be a celebrity. We've talked about this stuff before, but, you know, like as a kid, everyone wants to be famous. But then you think about all the stuff you have to deal with. Like, it's not appealing to me at all. It's one of those things where you're like, how can you call yourself a fan? And then completely go in such a horrendous direction. And yeah, when it comes to the Schaefer case, I do think it was so weird that the DMV was just handing out people's addresses. Apparently, it was a very common thing at the time for someone to be able to just go to the DMV and get someone's address. Luckily, they have changed that now, but still... The fact that something tragic like this always has to happen for common sense protections for people's privacy to be put in place is a real shame and, you know, shame on our system for that. And when it came to the Grimmy case, one of the things that always struck me as just off-putting was all the signs that were around um, her murderer and the fact that people were saying he was acting strange, you know, he was creeping them out and security did nothing about it. And the John Lennon case is really unique in the fact that photo really lives on the photo of Mark David Chapman and John Lennon together shortly before Chapman would kill him. It's one of the first like creepy photos that I remember all these cases and the case of Selena. And unfortunately, they are not the only ones that this has happened to just exemplify the tragic consequences that can come when you have fame and when people feel like they have access to you and that you owe them something. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the murder of Selena. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. As always, stay safe.